Alrighty, welcome back to the Information Revolution. It's a podcast for people working with information. And uh, let's do the names as we do. So my name's Michael Upton. Um, I'm an information management consultant. I work for a little company in New Zealand called Metataxis New Zealand. And I'm Judy Verno. I'm an information architect. I'm also in New Zealand and work for that little company, Metataxis. And I'm Carl Melrose. I work for Castle Point Systems in Canberra. My views are my own. Big disclaimer there. Little disclaimer, big disclaimer. We'll see. Um, it's feral we're going. <laughs> um, so today we're going to kind of extend on what we've been talking about in the last couple of episodes. So if you haven't checked those out, you might want to listen to those. We talked about the EDRMS uh, two episodes ago and basically failure of the EDRMS. Like why isn't EDRMS working as a concept or why hasn't it worked? Um, and then last time we were talking about Microsoft 365. So thankfully we got a bunch of comments and uh, interest around those topics, which I think is really good news because I think they are important in terms of um, particularly government information management. Um, and I thought maybe we could open up. Judy, you had something interesting that you heard back. Yeah, well, a couple of things. I was talking to someone in Wellington recently who said and they have two this organization that has SharePoint and an EDRMS and I was just asking her um, why they didn't just move entirely to SharePoint since everybody seems to work in there and uh, and, and as an information architect I don't necessarily understand all the details of you know the public records act, act here she said no we can't do that because it's not compliant with new zealand legislation so then i thought well i'll ask my colleagues in the uk what what they think about this because i i know or think i know that most of the work that they do around this kind of thing is in 365 so using sharepoint and um, and they said, oh, we don't have anybody these days or we don't know of people who are um, working with EDRMS as a, as a starting point. They all use SharePoint. Why would you not think of that as a record-keeping system? And so I'm thinking, I, I actually, I don't know. As I said, I'm an information architect. I'm not a uh, a records person or an archivist, so I thought, well, I'll ask Michael what do you, <laughs> what he thinks about that. Um, so, Michael, why is SharePoint not an EDRMS if you configure it appropriately? Well, I mean, I would say it is, <laughs> or it can be an EDRMS, yeah. um, as my colleagues would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, of course, I'm aware of MetaTaxis UK's work, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, they they do a lot of work around records in, in the UK, and I Absolutely. don't understand why. Uh, sorry, and specifically in um, what is now being called SharePoint. What's it called? Just SharePoint in Microsoft 365. That Microsoft moved away from calling SharePoint, SharePoint online. Microsoft. I think it's still saying the that they have they. Yeah, they gave up on that, so now they want us to say something more cumbersome and confusing. <laughs> oh. Anyway, oh. take it as read that throughout this podcast episode, uh, if I say SharePoint, <laughs> I mean in Microsoft 365. Um, so, look, I mean, there are compliance gaps, and and um, last episode I tried to quickly summarise what it was that you could still do in, in terms of managing records. Um, 
And I mean, there are definitely things that I wish were much easier. Um, but uh, if I mean, the thing I'd fundamentally want to like wind all the way back to actually is that if if we are going to obsess over compliance, and we've had episodes where we've tried to say, please don't, you know, please focus on you <laughs> yes. know actually delivering value to an organisation through supporting the people who work there, um, you. There's been ISO standards. There's the the ICA rec, uh, as they were called, ICA rec um, modules and things. And uh, how long ago is that? I think it's ten years ago. That said, here are the requirements for managing records in a line of business system. And so, you know, it's been at least a decade of people trying to formalise a view that must have existed already. So basically, what I'm trying to say is, it's been absolutely ages that. Um, People have been in a sort of compliance setting. Have been pushing for um, how you could manage records well outside of an EDRMS. So I think, firstly, I'd sort of say there's this kind of wrong-headed focus on oh, we must have an EDRMS because the EDRMS is essential to compliance. I just don't think. Um, I don't know. I just I, I just don't think um, end users separate their working lives in the way that they would have to for us to succeed with this kind of narrow mm. view of mm. an EDRMS is the thing that drives um, good record keeping and good record keeping um, involves putting something into a particular place. Um, let's, let, let's be, I mean, just to be a little bit of a, a pedant though, because this is a, this is a compliance, yeah, yeah. we are talking about compliance. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we've got to, I think we've got to be really clear. It's not about record keeping. It's about records management. Yeah, that's the point, you know, isn't it? Record it's, yeah. keeping as in yeah. you know, deciding what information we're going to record yeah. so that we've got it at some point. Records management, you know, how are we going to manage that information that's been created? And, and the disposition side of it, yeah. That's the sorry. Good that's call. the issue, isn't it? Yeah, it is a good call, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess what I would say is, I mean, like we, we know that um, disposal of disposition is not happening in digital. Like we know that it's failed um, in terms of, you know, current current processes and systems in that broad sense of, you know, the um, uh, I really liked uh, last time, uh, Carl, you, you had a focus on social routines. You know, the social routines are not there that would ever allow um, disposition, at least at scale. Um, and so, so I kind of just think, well, Sorry, I mean, this is kind of drifting a bit from from the actual. No, no, but but this is good. Point. I think we're getting onto to the meat of some really important stuff. I mean, I think the yeah. the underlying problem for disposition is that in most cases, disposition is a ten dollars solution to a ten cent problem. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, that's a bunch of different numbers there, but yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what, whatever, whatever, whatever your numbers are. I mean, absolutely. It's it's absolute overkill. Um, to you know, to to think that. You ought to be investing in sort of um, come on, brain. Like if you were in a situation where you thought, "Oh, okay, we can't fully work with SharePoint because of compliance, and that's the only reason that we would look at another solution." The idea that that other solution ought to be full-blown EDRMS just seems nuts to me. <laughs> like. To, to your point, Carl, like in terms of the, the kind of spend versus the value returned, like that that just seems silly um, if it even works. And I also just don't think it works. So I just think, you know, the combination of those things just makes it makes it ridiculous. 
Um, so, so to be specific so, so about that, I just don't think that you would get an outcome where you were managing the most valuable information to a better standard because you purchased an EDRMS or maintained an EDRMS just to look after disposal. You know, I, I think that really is really interesting. Really but, but interesting I think that's point. The big point. You know, has has EDRMS result, and I don't know whether we really articulated it quite so clearly in the first you know episode. You know, has is there a functional relationship between deploying an EDRMS in your organisation and then having better standards of records, you know, better records coming out the other end so yeah. that, you know, you can yeah. reuse the information, you know, faster, better, cheaper business processes, all those kinds of things. And I think we could argue that, you know, pretty convincingly that the answer is no. And I think we have EDRMS as a, you know, the, the, the standards systems that comply with them, you know, process, I think it's quite a circular sort of thing. And I think, you know, you look at when the the big records management systems, um, you know, really started, you know, it was 1984, 1985, you know, sort of those early, um, that, that was really when EDRMS came about. And what I'd be really interested to, to understand, and we could actually ask David Moldrich, because I think he was the... I'd be he was the guy who actually wrote what became ISO 15489 or at least convened the group that um, for I guess it was Australian standards at that point that actually ended up writing that standard you know how did they go about writing the standard you know was it was it looking at the capability that was available and then aiming to codify um, you know some of that stuff into a standard to say look, you know, so it was that sort of, um, you know, we need a standard here, you know, we need a best practice. And so I'm going to go and look at what these records, you know, what these things that are calling themselves records management systems and electronic records management systems, I'm going to go at what they, and look at what they deliver and then look at what, you know, the principles of records management and, you know, then write a standard based on what seems to be sensible and pragmatic and you know a bar that we should all aim to jump over if we can or i don't even know where i'm kind of I feel like i'm rambling into space now there's a point here that i'm trying to that, that i i i feel like I it's important that, you know it's that what created the systems and the standards you know was sure. it the that's what i'm really trying to get at you know where did they come from you know did the edrms category exist because the standards created it or did you know, did we have the technology and then we created a standard that matched the technology that we had? Um, and I'm not sure. I actually you know, think. Was there a. I actually think where you're going is very similar to the amazing analogy you told back in back in a few episodes back to do with tying a cat to a tree. Where oh wow, this... my favourite analogy! <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wish I could remember which episode that was. Maybe I can put it in the show notes. Um, but. But it, it's, it, potentially we're in this situation where basically we're saying oh, thou shalt have an EDRMS because we've gotten to this kind of weird, vicious circle of thinking, well, that's what record-keeping yeah. compliance is or records management compliance, apologies, is, you know, that records management compliance is having a functioning EDRMS. But to me, I mean, so many so many recurrent themes in what we've been talking about we can weave back in here. Like, like again, it's the people you know, like like having a system that no one is using or having a technology that no one is using means you still have a broken system. You know, a good system must be, uh, you know, must include people and processes. You know, it must include those routines. It must be, 
um, the sum of how people are working and the tools they use to do the work well. So it can't, you know, you can't just point at a technology and go, oh, well, you know, look, look, the feature set, you know, functional spec. But I mean, so, you you got to look at how far behind the standards are. I mean, Prov um, have only just released their business systems policy. Right. You know, yeah. which, and if you go and read it, it basically says that, you know, <laughs> record, records in databases are, are records and you've got to keep them. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, okay, good. great. I mean, it's a good start. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, big paraphrase there, but, you know, that's basically what it, what it says. Yeah. And how long have we had databases? And, yeah. You know, how, how long have people been using business systems? And, yeah. I mean, c- could you, I, I, keep, I, I keep looking at, record systems and you know you go and look in the bucket that's compliant with the standards that you know the that that the legislation and the archival regulation says that you know you have to use and then you go and look at the business system that you know manages the business process and i mean which one of those is a better record and you know i mean oh I would yeah say absolutely every single time you know i i, I want the business system because course, I look at yeah. it and it gives me all yeah. the information in the yeah. context of its creation. I can understand where a process got to, where it went off the rails. You know, I mean, it, and it does It does then come down to how good is the record keeping in the organisation. Yeah, I, was, I, I was always surprised at how much useful information seems to get lost on transfer to archives in the UK. I don't know if it's the same... Here, well, of course, nobody's doing electronic transfer as far as I know. But working on stuff, um, they're working on it. Yeah, but yeah, actually, and, but, and Prov, to their credit, have said have said recently that they have taken a big transfer from one of the local universities, so they are taking electronic transfers. Right. Yeah, and and maybe it's all changed, but certainly a few years ago, you might have all this lovely metadata in your line of business system, your EDRMS or whatever it is, but the spec for what needs to go to archives is so much less than that and seemed to me to lose a lot of that lovely context. I know you're supposed to say, well, it belongs to this function and so on, but it seemed to throw away a lot of really useful subject-based stuff, for example. Interesting. Yeah, I think. In New Zealand, there's or certainly... Or not require. I don't want to say throw away, but not require. Right. I mean, in New well, Zealand, there's always because, a you know, transferring archivist who would look at the stuff and would try and make some calls about that. So, yeah. I know, I mean, when I worked there, like, this is a decade ago as well, that um, we were talking about whether or not sort of the function of a digital government archive is to be like a meta EDRMS, so the EDRMS of EDRMSs, um, yeah. which seemed kind of the flavour of the day back then. So so there's right. definitely that idea that there could be these, I mean, you know, you could think of it like an archival, um, sorry, I've lost the words for this, but basically a kind of different set of, uh, basically a different taxonomy or a different schema surrounding each mm. set of information and that you somehow needed to integrate those. And that's always one of the challenges thinking about digital um, archiving is that mm. uh, the extent to which you want to try and pull together how things made sense in their context and not lose that is, is an open question. You know, it's like, yeah, perhaps in the UK they went, right, this is not sustainable. We're not going to be able to. Well, this – and it was a, it was quite a while ago, and I know mm. there's been a lot more sophisticated work around thinking about um, using ontologies and so on to, to um, aid – the storage and discovery of content 
Mm-hmm. I, I think something that we have to be clear about, though, too, is that there is a the regulatory framework in the UK and Australia and New Zealand is quite different, though, too. From, from, sure. And probably have to ask your colleagues about this, but my understanding is that in the UK there's no equivalent piece of legislation that basically says that, you know, any piece of information created by a public servant's record must be kept. There's nothing that there's nothing that says that from what I understand. The other thing, and I could be, you know, I could be wrong about that, definitely not a specialist on UK legislation. The other <laughs> thing that, I, the other thing that I understand though too is that the, the archives have no, the, the archive has no power to regulate so they are not a regulator in the UK. They are a cultural institution, and That's... the way they end up, the way they actually capture records, is that essentially they have historians and archivists who go out to, you know, the departments and talk to people there about significant events that have happened and capturing the records of those significant events. So it's very much a. My understanding is it's it's very much a a pool system rather than you know the the, the archive they're trying to regulate. You know, and I think I'm pretty much on. I think I'm on record as saying that I think one of the biggest problems that we've got with the regulatory framework in Australia um, and New Zealand is that it overreaches. You know, it's the the archive wants the you know whatever the percentage is this tiny little percentage of records, and and so they say, well, you can't delete anything ever. Okay. And I think there's a huge I'll, I'll amount wait. of overreach there. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think both in Australia and New Zealand there are uh, grounds for deleting a whole lot of stuff, but I just think that people get very nervous about doing that. Yeah, which is good. I think, sure, I think I, th- I think I mean I think that's good. I think it's appropriate. I don't. Yeah. I definitely don't want to anyone to think that I think it's a good idea that public servants should be going around deleting stuff. That's <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. That's definitely not, not a good idea. But I think. But I, I do. Think, but I do think that. I do think that the agency that the public servant works for carries the risk of the public servant doing that, and the minister that that you know that public servant works for carries the risk of that public servant doing that. And I think that's a it's just something that it's, it's a constant topic of conversation with lots of people um, who are developing um, disposition schedules for government agencies. You know they'll they'll go they'll go to they'll go to the archive. You know, de- depending on the regulatory jurisdiction, there's generally a, an approval process in place where the archive has to you know bless your disposition schedule and say that you know yes you know go forth and you know retain and dispose of things. Yeah. Um, but the constant arguing with archives about you know well you know we've got all the permanent classes over here okay great we've agreed you know these are the things that should be permanently retained these are the bus- these are the business activities that need permanent retention but then pe- the archives will argue with them over you know well you've called that 10 years retention we think it should be 12 or you think you've called that you know 8 years retention and we think it should be 6 and nobody can figure out why any of the archive anybody anybody at any of the archives is getting involved in that stuff because it's not permanent retention the archive has absolutely nothing to you know no horse in that race the agency actually carries the risk that that record will be unable to be found when it's needed um and it's just a it's just a weird set of patterns that i keep seeing but the complaints are really consistent and I haven't been able to figure out why the archives are getting involved in that stuff. 
because they 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 have no risk. They they you know they're not interested in you know depending on the jurisdiction, not interested in anything until fifteen years after it's created. So I would have also thought that um they you know that they won't be as close to the, I mean you know uh, an appraisal archivist is not going to know as much as the person who wrote that um, that that legal authority. Um, in consultation with the, you know, a whole lot of people in the organisation who presumably would say, oh, you know, specialist legislation that applies only to us says X, you know, and and our business context demands Y. Um, you know, why why would an archive think that, I mean, yeah, that they, they would know better, <laughs> I guess. I mean, and I suppose, I mean, that, that sounds a bit uh, judgy, I suppose. I mean, the flip side is that they would see a lot of sort of... Um, broader patterns across across government but still it's just like what's the what's the benefit versus the amount of sort of time lost talking about those things or arguing over those things yeah um i was thinking just to take us on a slightly different track but also to kind of wind it back a bit um talking about um what you can and can't destroy has me thinking about the broader challenges with digital disposition um, and destruction in particular. Um, I think one of the things that I've been trying to say about Microsoft 365 is that you can apply retention rules that either prevent destruction or actually set up auto-delete rules um, across a massive breadth of of, uh, information sources i suppose and so for example you can apply rules to OneDrives, or you can apply rules which is like personal storage you can apply rules to mailboxes you can apply rules to yes any kind of a sharepoint site um, you can apply rules to teams chats um, and so i'm seeing um, interesting things happening there where people are suddenly going oh right one of the weird phenomena of digital is that we've got absolute crap all over the place and that's what you know people refer to as rot um you know which which um i i guess in in a paper paradigm we we were very selective about what was actually the record and how we were going to manage that thing and we did that through a sort of curatorial process and it may or may not have worked you know it may or may not have achieved outcomes that we wanted i don't know but um I think there's a point worth okay. making there, and sorry to just jump in quickly, but I, the the point is the economics have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, in a it, it, you know, if you're recording things on paper, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here writing things. You know, I mean, I handwrite at about you know 25 words a minute, and I type at about 200 words a minute. And then you know, if I want to duplicate that piece of hand thing that I've just handwritten, well, that takes a long time. I'm not sure it was I, I think it was select I think we were selective, but I think we were selective because the medium of, of recording was very expensive. You know, time yeah. cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff cost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. But I also do think um I, I might have said this one before. I can't remember, sorry, but um I think we have shifted to a bunch of the stuff that would have just been chat, as in colleagues sitting next to each other talking about how do I do X or whatever has become yeah. recorded. So, yeah, you know, definitely like true. in particular with remote working, you know, yeah. a certain pandemic and so on, you know, um, yeah. huge amount is like, you know, we're having a laugh about X or Y and that is recorded and um, people get anxious about. And is a record and therefore must be kept. Yeah, yeah but is it's it? can but, record versus should record. You know? But how do you weed that stuff out? 
because mm. you've got, as you say, you've got the you've got the the chat chat, and then you've got the important document, so or decision or something, yeah. you know, approval, Absolutely. and then you've got a load more, you know, stuff about whatever your holiday. I think, I think like the, very the, the, hard, yeah, very for hard. sure. And the classic kind of recordsy answer to that is, you know, like if we were sitting around having a chat in a room, well, you know, like we are now. Um, having a conversation about something, we made a decision. We ought to make a record of the decision, but we don't need to keep everything or we don't, you know, if you're essentially creating a file note or you're minuting something, you know, we know that minutes are never full in the sense that, you know, a minute never covers off the bit where we chat at the start about, you know, what we had for breakfast or whatever. Um, and... Uh, so in theory, you say, look, uh, you know, take it into the Microsoft realm again. You know, if you're using Teams chats or you're using Skype chat or, you know, whatever, um, uh, you identify a point at which as a record keeper, you ought to keep a record. You go and create a record somewhere else. Like that is the traditional answer to it. And I'm still, I'm still leaning towards there's something good in that. Like it does still make sense to me that a person – as part of good business practice, also identify that. But I think we're, I, I just come back over and over and over to like, that's only going to happen when it's of value to that person. Like it's only going to happen when, uh, so the person keeping the record is only going to keep the record when it's good for them to, or, or when they see good in mm. doing that for their colleagues. You know, they're kind of. But then they've, they've got to, they've got to see that good. I mean, mm. for themselves. Mm. Okay. Right. But, to see that good for their colleagues, they might not necessarily do that, or they might do it, but go, oh, I can't be bothered. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they do, it's, you know, um, and that's what we all do, all of us. Yeah, well, yes, that is what we all do, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a legal thing. I mean, I think this is ultimately a lot of this stuff's going to be decided, you know, based on case law. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I talk to people all the time, you know, decisions being made in Teams chat it chats, you know, is or authorised in Teams chats is every second agency's thing that they're concerned about at the moment, at least the, you know, agencies that I'm talking to. Um, but I, I think ultimately a lot of this stuff's going to come down to what the courts think. I can't help but think that, you know, are we going to have an expected standard in the future that decisions are recorded because so much stuff is being in chat? Well, come on, where's, where's the chat? You know, you guys surely didn't have a phone call to discuss this stuff. And if you did have a phone call, you probably did it because you didn't want to create a record of it. So, you know, where, where's your chat confirming that this decision was had? That was a really oh, long then, way to get know, to that point. It would be <laughs> it would be easy enough to, you know, replicate that and fake it and all the rest of it. So that won't be a proper record either. Hashtag metadata. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but see, I mean, maybe, but maybe, that, you know, maybe this is the thing. You know, I mean, I, I'm putting together, you know, Michael and I are presenting on a RIMPA thing in a couple of days' time about Microsoft 365, and I'm putting together the non I've, I've, you know, taken one for the team and said, right, I'm going to do the non the non-compliance section of the okay. of the of the event. And, you know, I mean, there's a couple of things like, you know, Microsoft 365 overwrites access metadata, you know, after a specific period of time. You know, it depends on your licensing. Well, you know, I mean, is that where EDRMS you know, starts to shine because it doesn't override it ever, you know. I mean, sure, you know, you do things like, you know, tail logs off to a seam platform or something like that. But, I mean, is that where we start to really see the value of this? You know, I mean, it, 
I, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and this is one of the things that I, the constant optimizing problem type questions that bounce around in my head. You know, it's how is the standard of evidence changing based on the technology? And, you know, I mean, are we pulling ourselves up to, you know, where EDRMS is? Because I think you can make a, an argument that a large percentage, a large portion of the reason that EDRMS failed, and I don't know whether I said it this clearly, um, in the EDRMS episode is because the standard is too high, you know, and it's, you know, there's, there's a, there's that, yeah. there's that, Kinev- there's the Kinevan model, you know, of, com- of complex systems. And, you know, you look at the different domains in it, you know, the simple and the complicated and the complex and the names have changed. So I may have, I may be talking old names, but, you know, three of the domains and, you know, basically what it says is that when you've got a simple problem that you're working with, that's the domain for best practice. As soon as you get out of the simple domain, best practice breaks because it's too rigid for the you know it's too rigid for the real world. And I mean, you could make an argument that you know so much of what public servants do and so much of what government agencies do, you know, exists in the complicated domain. You know, you need real expertise to be able to do that thing. And so this very simple idea that we have. Just doesn't just doesn't you know which is what the standard is ultimately it's a set of ideas that we're trying to make explicit so and and simple enough for ordinary people to carry them out I mean we could argue about that for ages but but I feel like we're you know there's a couple of points in there you know ultimately but one of them is that I think EDRMS sets a really high standard and I think one of the problems is the standard is too high most of the time. Um, does that mean it's going to be too high into the future? You know, there are lots of systems that, you know, we're starting to see popping up that connect to everything, capture everything, you know, these big brother-esque type things that, you know, are going to make keeping everything at that standard of EDRMS possible. You know, so uh, is what we're talking about just a gap in the technology where we've set this standard and it's taken a really long time to get to, the point where we have technology that can realise it. And I don't know about that. And is there a benefit to that? And is ultimately that going to set the standard of record keeping? Many, many things I could say here, but um, one of the ones that came to my mind when you were talking, Carl, was that... Um, Just be um, quiet. <laughs> You're talking rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Just shut your mouth. No, it was... <laughs> not that. was about... Um, uh, times when you do want to destroy information basically there will be times when it's actually there is uh, you know if we're talking about public sector there is public good and disposing of stuff you know there's public good and chucking out um um for instance uh sensitive information about individuals that could be used against them you know there's um yeah i i, I worked with a dutch guy who would forever refer back to how uh, basically what we would now call ethnicity data captured in um, in uh, uh, come on brain jeez in uh, Amsterdam was then used by the Nazis to identify those who they wanted to kill. You know, it was as simple mm. as that, and the kind of that whole thing about you know collecting data about individuals and letting the state accrue all of that stuff is. You know, I think there's there's massive risks associated with that, but um, yeah, but but yeah, I agree. There there are there, there are all these economics around all of this, which I think you know it will be really interesting. And I think your overall point about you know what will the courts say? One of the things I find very interesting 
if I tie all this back to, you know, do we want to dispose of Teams chats, for instance, several government departments in New Zealand are applying auto-delete rules that just destroy your Teams chat. You know, say it's 30 days out, you just lose your chat. And they would do that to discourage the idea that this is where your significant records ought to be and to try and drive a routine, you know, create a routine where you do capture decisions somewhere else. You know, this is just for chat. Mm. Um, but where I see other government departments pushing back against that, it's not to do with sort of records in the sense. It's to do with a kind of legal compliance thing. For instance, um, you know, um, an employer... Um, bullying, you know, a manager bullying their staff, things like that, and that records of those kinds of activities of wrongdoing, of um, you know, insider risk stuff, um, you know, those it's, it's that kind of an angle, and it's a very legalistic angle, and it what I sort of generalise out of all of that is that there are these competing interests in terms of keeping or destroying stuff. Um, One's about sort of business efficiency, one's about privacy, one's about a sort of yeah, a, a heritage view of, of the country um, and about um, keeping government to account, which could be different again. And then there's this other one that's to do with basically being able to prosecute people or being able to hold individuals to account for things they're not doing well right. as opposed to hold mm. the government to account. Yeah, so there's that's all these a, competing things. That was just things. a... An excellent summary of the reasons for record keeping. <laughs> but I, I think so, a, uh, I think I, I agree. But I, I think there's a I think one of the things that we've got to be careful of there though too is that and this is where I I, I keep coming back to the you know we're trying to spend ten dollars to solve a ten cent problem. You know the number of eight. I keep talking to the to different agencies about disposing of electronic records and. I've never ever had a convincing business case made to me for the for, for the for the just general dist routine destruction of electronic records. It is so cheap to keep them that the process you've got to go through to actually destroy a record is so much more expensive than you know. I've worked out the numbers, and you know, I mean, you know, the, at one point I was looking at keeping these things, and you know, it was going to it was going to be two hundred and thirty seven thousand years worth of storage for you know, the price that it was going to cost to dispose of this record. And but those economics uh, have to change. But I, interesting. I think the, the, the problem with that is that by, by, by trying to make disposition the $10 problem, we're not focusing on the $100 and the $1,000 problems. And I think that's what you're talking about, Michael. I think the stuff that, that you're talking about, that's the $100 problem, the $1,000 problem, the $10,000 problem. You know, how do we make sure that manager? You know, how do we make sure managers aren't bullying their staff and give ourselves the ability to prosecute them when they are? Well, if that stuff's showing up in Teams chats, you know, let's not get the records team focusing on implementing good retention and disposition practices. Let's get the records management team going. Right, we have a we have a risk here. This is the information that proceeds. The, you know that that proceeds that risk and proceeds from it. So. Let's get the information management team working on identifying that stuff when it happens. You know, yeah, we've got personally identifiable information here. Let's not get them trying to manage every bit of information the agency creates uniformly. You know, we know that this personally identifiable information leads to this specific type, these specific types of risk. So let's get them focused on managing that. And you know what? Thinking about, you know, let's destroy this stuff in a thousand years' time when we know it's, you know, we'll roll it off the end of the truck. And that's getting increasingly easy to do. Not, It's not easy, 
but getting easier to do to identify, for example, personally identifiable information. As we know, you know, there are there are tools being developed that allow you to do that, to do all kinds of analysis across different kinds of content. Um, so I think, yeah, let's put the money there so that we can do that as far as we can, that automatic identification of those those tricky, sensitive areas. Yeah, where, where the category, you know, where the category can tell us a lot. And I mean, that that is, I've got a presentation that I put forward for RIMPA this year where at uh, the RIMPA conference um, that has been accepted, I will be presenting it. Um, and what I'm arguing is that what we're seeing Don't at the moment it. is the emergence of a... <laughs> Well, you know, spoiler alert. So, you know, if you really want to hear, but but this the thing I'm arguing for is that we've got a a, a third generation of record systems emerging, at the moment. and you know, it's the registry tied to the classifier, and right, what that's and I agree with allowed, that. Yeah, and, and I think that's yeah. what you're talking to because what yeah, it, it allows is. us to see Absolutely. is it allows us to understand yep. the category of information yep. that's being yep. created, yep. so that we can understand the specific risks and how we're supposed to manage it, and yeah. it's a level of abstraction from away from um the information itself but we don't i mean as managers we we don't want to work with the information we want to work with the abstraction you know if we can get from the information to a set of you know categories that the information falls into that tell us what yeah. we need to do then i mean that's the whole point of classification and yeah you know. absolutely and and there are a lot of um good initiatives around that at the moment i mean this is where the kind of stuff that i really care about Comes and some of the play. projects you've worked and, on, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, and I'm I may, working I may, on, yeah, I may, yeah. Talk, I may talk about some of those without without, <laughs> without telling people anything else. I would. Um, we could talk about that actually. Just emphasise for those out there listening that when we're talking about classification, we're meaning in that broadest sense, like classifying. Oh yeah, categorisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As yeah. in, yeah, putting things into categories. Into categories. We're not talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, and the ca- not, and the category doesn't just mean retention category. The category means no, absolutely. Risk and, so yeah. yeah, nor does it mean necessarily putting like protective markings, like security classifications, which is the other thing that I think no. people hear the word classification and think of that. But I think um, I wonder whether part of the future of information and records will be having that broader view of basically of of classification in the sense of putting stuff into a category with regards to a business outcome that you expect to happen so you know so some kind of a risk you might be managing yeah. or some flag of value I think absolutely in, in that certainly. really broad sense almost like a uh, a sort of an aggregator of classification systems so it could be to do with security could be to do with retention and disposal could be i don't know what else oh, uh, all privacy. kinds of stuff like sentiment analysis and all yeah, that you know yeah, yeah. how many complaints are we getting in about yeah right yeah about this topic yeah we are i mean that is we are seeing that Coming out in Microsoft 365 too, right? You know, they've got we've we've got sensitivity labels and we've got retention labels. You know, and they are differentiated quite clearly as being two different things. And then, you know, we've got tags as well. You know, the ability to put things into other kinds of categories. So, and I mean, I guess that's nothing new, is it? You know, it's just it's interesting. The, that there's also it's I mean, nothing new. It's just the way that we approach it and the yeah. tools that we create in order to support that. That's new. That's right. And and lurking in the background as well as those other tools. I mean, so there's there's sensitive information types. So these things like, for instance, capturing your your tax file number or IRD number or, you know, um yeah. whatever, um, some kind of health number, um, identifying those things and, and raising those up 
so that you can then either trigger automated events off those or you could just report on those. So I think records yeah. and information teams might get more into that. Um, and you can do that through, you know, machine learning type training, which I... Oh, there's lots of ways, yeah. ...haven't heard positive outcomes in terms of the 365 ones there, but that, that's where um, Syntex, which is, you know, relatively new technology, where that's supposed to come into play. Oh, yeah, to me, it just seems really exciting that you know there, there will be all these opportunities to basically kind of um think that broadly about how we're managing information and i kind of think that's where the future is is not being so focused uh, <laughs> um on on just r d basically just on retention and disposal yeah um i mean the, the point is that we've, we're, we're gonna have we've got machines we've got machines that can do that yeah you know, yeah, for sure. Mach- machines and 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 the semantics that feed into the machines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that that's the thing yeah. that I'm seeing. You know, that the the successful models that I'm seeing they are the semantic models. Yeah. You know, and I mean, there's, but there's just so much more power there too. You know, I mean, using using that stuff to do nothing but retention and disposition to me is kind of like using it's the sledgehammer to crack a walnut analogy. <laughs> you know, if that if that's all you're doing with it, you know, I mean. Oh like, yeah. Agreed. So I mean, against ten dollar solution for ten cent problem, right? Let's just like look, <laughs> look. Just retaining all your information actually doesn't cost the organisation in terms of risks and impacts. Um, may as well. You were going to wind us up, Michael. And I'm going to wind. <laughs> we, we, I'm going to wind should, you up. We've... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've we've been all over the show with this. Um, but I guess yeah, there's some themes in there around. Um, how disposal and disposition even works, whether it's the thing you're trying to focus on and a little bit more there on some of the specifics in 365. I guess, I mean, one thing I could just chuck in there in terms of thinking about the economics of these things is, I think I've said this before, but in New Zealand, um, the largest possible single fine that our regulator could apply is $10,000. And I think in 2023 money, if you think what's the cost of regulatory compliance versus a fine of $10,000. I mean, it just seems absolutely silly to me, to be blunt, you know, like the economics do not stack up whatsoever because how much, you know, how, how much improvement could you get in, in your organization for $10,000? It's like, right, on that glorious note, thank you very much, Carl and Judy, and we will catch you all again next time. Cheers. Okay, see you.